Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Said the night wind to the little lamb, do you hear what I see? Said the little lamb to the boy, do you hear what I hear? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? So I do realize there are churches that on Christmas Eve try to put their absolute best perfect foot forward. They bring out the fanciest robes, they have the nicest incense, some of them have fog machines, they hire professional musicians, some people host Christmas Eve in in an arena, or they have Santa Claus fly in uh, on the rafters. And I realize we showed you that video. But we showed you that video. It's been the the starter for our sermon series is Do You Hear What I Hear? As we've looked at some of the theology behind famous Christmas carols, you know, Do You Hear What I Hear? The Holly and the Ivy, Joy to the World, what we're saying about God when we are singing these songs because Christmas is so uh, wrapped up in the songs that we sing and it's such a meaningful moment for a lot of people to sing those songs. Um, But really, we just set out to make a funny video. We didn't set out to make an impression. We just said wanted to have fun. We intentionally made it bad just to have a little laughter, to make it imperfect. And that's what I love so much about it in this moment. And um, as I was hearing on the radio so many times these days, uh, this week, that even if your Christmas isn't perfect, it doesn't mean God isn't present. And, and there's something about the Christmas story, especially with the angels singing over the shepherds, that reminds us that at Christmas, when God comes to be amongst us at Christmas, everyone is invited to sing along. 
And that may scare some of you half to death. Because I realize not everyone loves to sing. In fact, um, I was, a couple years ago, there was a, a whole survey done about Americans' uh, worst fears. Uh, number one was public speaking. And just to put that in context, number one was public speaking. Number two was death. Um, number three was spiders, if that makes more sense. But um, public speaking, death, and then spiders were one, two, and three. But I have to think that public singing has to come before speaking a little bit. Like public speaking, you have to have content, you have to have cadence, you've got to have some eye connection. Uh, it, it's a little challenging, but public singing, I mean, you've got tone, you've got pitch. There's a reason why we pay a few people a lot of money to do like the really big concerts and to sing really well. It's really hard to sing perfectly, but can anybody tell me, if you've seen the movie Elf, what is the third rule of Santa's workshop? You're going to have to put that on for me, Patrick. This is not working. Right? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And do we really want to leave that into the hands of just a few people? If we're looking to spread Christmas cheer, if we're looking to spread the peace of Christ, if we're looking to all meet in the manger in this wonderful setting, do we really want to just leave it to those who are actually perfect at it? Or is there something about the imperfection of Christmas that's even more beautiful when we all sing along, even off-key? I have a feeling that one of the reasons why the shepherds were terrified when the angels came along is because they had never been asked to sing along before. So let me dive a little bit into the world of the shepherds for some background here. Um, in the time of the shepherds. So we, when we talk about Christmas and this big theological word, incarnation, we talk about God coming to be amongst us, God coming to be one with us. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus was so humble that he came from on high to be amongst us, walk with us, teach us, guide us, live amongst us. And so our conception of God is this very personal God, but that was not the conception of God in the time of the shepherds. In the Old Testament, especially, you've got um, this idea that God is this holy other, and we are this holy imperfect being. But the thing is, is the synthesis between God and God's chosen people was so tightly interwoven that it was thought that any imperfection or any blemish of unrighteousness amongst God's chosen people reflected on God. And so if um, somebody was considered unclean or unrighteous or not worthy to be called a person of God, then that meant that God also was unclean or unrighteous or imperfect. And so when we look at the Hebrew laws and we think, oh my gosh, these are really strict and the punishments are harsh, it's in the mindset that they are trying to keep the community righteous and the community pure so that God is represented as pure and righteous. Because when you have tribes and nations who are warring with each other, and when they're warring with each other, they perceive that their gods are also warring with each other, it helps if your God is perfect and without blemish to win that battle. And so they're living, shepherds are living in this time in which um, there is a thought that people have to be perfect to be in God's presence. And as the scriptures flow on through the Old Testament, we can see in the kings, we can see in the prophets, that there is a misconstruation, a misconstruing of these laws to favor those people who write the laws. So the priests, the kings, the elite, the powerful, they start to be seen as the clean, the righteous, the ones who are allowed to go into the temple and sing glory to God and be in God's presence. But the shepherds are not those people. Not many times, if at all, have they ever been asked to come out of the hills and meet in a holy place to be a part of something 
awesome and magical and special and greater than they could have ever imagined. They've never been invited to sing along. So you can see why they're terrified. But in that progression in Scripture, as the, as the laws get kind of misrepresented and misconstrued, there is, um, every once in a while, as you see, especially in the prophets, there is a story of an angel coming to tell a different version of the story. And when we think of angels, we tend to think of when we were growing up in our Fisher-Price nativity set, or if you're older, a Precious Moments nativity set, where these cute little button angels. And there's generally two, um, through church tradition, it's not necessarily in Scripture, but in church tradition, there's been two different classifications of angels. There, there's more, but two main ones, the, the cherubs and the seraphs. And a cherub, um, usually in Renaissance art, looks like a naked baby with wings, usually pretty chubby as well. If you've seen a picture of Cupid, it's thought to be a cherub. Uh, the seraph generally is depicted in this perfect way that they kind of look like Princess Leia to me a little bit, although with violins instead of laser guns. And, um, so these are the ways, you know, we generally think of angels as these really perfect, pretty things, or at least the way we conceive of perfection to look like. If we look at um, the biblical accounts of what these angels look like, this is a cherub, or two cherubim that are Genesis 3, guarding the gate of Eden. They have fire swords, and all, you know, some of the guys in the room got really excited. This is so much better than babies with wings. They have fire swords. Now, they are gatekeepers. So on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was seen as where God's presence was, like existed, there are two golden cherubs, two cherubim, that guard the presence of God so that anything imperfect cannot get and corrupt the very holy presence of God. Now the seraphs, on the other hand, um, who we think look like this, these are messenger gods, uh, messenger angels, if you will. So when Ezekiel receives a message from an angel um, uh, with a message of hope and restoration for the dry bones of Israel that had been conquered, this is a seraph giving the message. When the angels are flying over the shepherds and singing glory to God in the highest, um, go to the manger and see where the king has been born. These are seraphs. These are messenger gods. They would receive a message from God and go and give it to the person that God um, had in mind. And these are, you know, there's not a lot of free will, not a lot of agency going on in the traditional description of what a seraph was. And we tend to picture them as beautiful, angelic beings. But in Ezekiel, they look like this with like 14 eyes and a million wings, and they're a bit terrifying if you will, right? We kind of have this idyllic picture of what it looks like when the angel came and told Mary that she was pregnant with a child. That was a seraph. Can you imagine it looking like this? Changes the story just a little bit. Mary's a lot more brave when she launches into the Magnificat, you know, after this experience. And I show you this picture, right? It's kind of a goofy picture, but I show you this picture. I don't know what angels look like. I can't speak with a lot of authority on angels or anything regarding angels, but, uh, or the physicality of angels necessarily, but I show you this picture because I look at this picture and I see something completely unexpected. I see something that doesn't live up to our ideals of perfection, and I think this is the Christmas we're meant to experience. The Christmas we're meant to experience is not a perfect people that were given a perfect present because a perfect God found them perfect enough to be with. What we celebrate and sing along with the angels is that an imperfect people were invited to go to a manger to meet other imperfect people where a perfect God loved them so much that God didn't need us to be perfect. God simply loved us and wanted to be with us, to redeem us, to guide us, to lead us, to teach us, to show us the way. And it didn't take perfect people. It just took people willing to sing along. 
willing to say yes and join with the angel's message to spread the message on from that. Somebody willing to let Jesus take their hand and teach him the right words to say. I had a, a moment like this where I got to witness something beautiful happen. It was in 2014. I got to take a trip to Rwanda um, in southeastern Africa with a group called Zoe Empowers. And, and it's a nonprofit that takes orphans and vulnerable children um, using all indigenous staff, takes orphan and vul- orphans and vulnerable children, and they pair them up in these work groups, family groups, spiritual groups. They nurture each other. They encourage each other. They serve as a family for each other. They have a shared bank account and work projects together. And eventually, these orphans um, go on to be sustainable, uh, self-sustaining business owners after three years. So they never need charity again. It's a pretty powerful model of ministry. And so um, I had heard about this model. I had friends who had uh, been supporters of Zoe, and so they invited me to go travel to Rwanda, check out the program, meet some of the groups, see how it all worked, and hopefully, you know, get, I was at another church at the time, get that church involved with what Zoe was doing. So I got on the plane, was flying to Rwanda, I got to meet different people who are also going to check out the program um, from Houston, from South Texas. Some people were already financially sponsoring uh, groups over there, and they were actually going to meet these kids that they had been empowering towards self-sustaining uh, uh, lifestyles. And so, one of those families was the Carson family. And the Carson family kind of meets your stereotypical southern, south, deep south Texas family. One of the girls had gone to Texas A&M. One of them had gone to Texas State. Thank you for living into your cult status on Christmas Eve. Um, Aggies who whooped. Um, no Texas State noises in the house. UNT, I don't know. No one went to UNT. So... Anyway, so one went to A&M, one went to Texas State. Mom was a school teacher. Dad was kind of this big wig in the oil industry. And um, so we get off the plane. We get to know each other. We get on the bus. And the leader of the trip named Gaston comes to Mr. Carson. And he says, hey, I know we're going to meet three of your groups today. We're first stops, one of your groups. Um, we really want, um, it, you, have an, you have an opportunity to speak some words to your group. And, and your group is so excited to meet you. They um, consider you just part of their family already. They're going to be so excited. So Mr. Carson been like in a thousand board meetings with, you know, oil and gas companies. And so you could hear him rehearsing in the bus kind of some of the general platitudes he offered up other groups. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us. You know, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, but nothing prepares your heart for when your bus pulls up to this school and you walk over a hill and there are 27 Um, young Rwandan men and women just singing and dancing their heart out because they are so excited that you've come to visit them. They were were singing them. They're like, glory be, glory be to God, glory be, glory be to God in in Rwandan. And and it was just, I mean, it was captivating. We were all blown away by this experience. And we got to sit down and listen to some of their stories and uh, and then it was time for Mr. Carson to speak. And, and right from the very moment when we had stepped off the bus, um, we kind of got a glimpse of him, and he was frozen. He was absolutely terrified. But he was terrified in this amazing way. He told us later that um, during the experience, he just did not have words to say because he couldn't find words perfect enough to fit the moment of what he was experiencing. Um, and how God was overwhelming him in that moment. And so when it came time for him to, to step up and speak, he got up, and here's this guy who's spoken to the titans of industry, um, and yet he's stammering, and he can't make out any words, and he's still got tears streaming down his face from how overwhelmed he is, um, and, and nothing changes until the 16-year-old president of the group, this young woman, comes forward, and she just grabs his hand, and she starts singing, Glory be, 
Glory be to God, glory be. Glory be to God, glory be. And she gets louder, and so the rest of the kids kind of know that's their cue, so they jump up and they start singing, glory be, glory be to God, glory. And before I know it, I'm dancing around like glory be. Like everybody's dancing around. We're all having this great time, and through the crowd, we look across, and there's Mr. Carson, the 62-year-old man, who's like, glory be, glory be to God. I mean, and none of us speak Rwandan. We have no idea what we're saying until later. It's just that somebody was brave enough, someone was kind enough, some angel got up and grabbed his hand and gave him the words to say when he didn't know what to do. See, often we go on these mission experiences, we go on these mission trips, and we assume that we are an angel, like a messenger from God going to deliver good news to somebody who is in need of God's presence. And and what we learn about God often is that we find God most and the people who we feel like we need to serve. And so it was, yes, Mr. Carson, the Carson family had this amazing job of being angels financially to uh, these people that he had lifted, you know, helped lift out of poverty. But it was their presence and their joy. They invited him to sing along. It was so moving. And, and because they invited him to sing along, they invited all of us to sing along. And y'all, we looked like idiots. Right? If we did it right here and right now, if I could actually convince you to get up and jump around and dance and sing the same song, it would be amazing. But you'd look dumb because our standard of perfection doesn't look like that. Our standard of perfection means that Josh Groban comes and sings in your Christmas Eve service. And that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas... It's about angels, messengers from God who came to the lowest of people and said, I don't care who you are and I don't care what you sing like. I don't care where you come from and I don't care how smart you are. I just want to hold your hand and I want to lead you into something greater. I want to lead you into a song that you can sing no matter how many mistakes you will make and no matter how many notes you won't hit. It is a song you can sing because at Christmas time, everybody gets invited to sing. God comes in the person of Jesus so that everybody would know, no matter how imperfect we may be, that we get to sing along, we get to live along, we get to heal along and teach along and love along. Everybody is invited to this song of peace and harmony, of love that transcends anything that we could ever manufacture on our own. Any amount of perfection we could dream of pales in comparison to the perfect love that is shown to us when God comes and walks amongst us. When Jesus is born into this world so he can take our hand when we don't know the words to sing. And help us sing, glory be. Glory be to God. Now here's the challenge. When I was growing up, um, I grew up over at, you know, I went to church at First United Methodist Church of Allen, just across town here. And uh, we would sing Angels We Have Heard on High like we did earlier. And it would, it would get to that chorus part. And and you heard the chorus, and like, it drags on for an awkward amount of time, doesn't it? It's a little bit long. Um, and so when we were growing up, my brother and I would sometimes cut up in church, um, and, uh, which was great. We got a few disapproving looks, but most people loved us. And um, so we'd start singing Angels We Have Heard on High, and, we, and as soon as we knew that was a song, my brother would give me this look, and I knew what it meant, and it was the challenge. It was kind of like, how long can you hold your breath underwater? It was, how long can you hold Gloria? 
So we'd start singing, and like most people would go to in excelsis Deo, and we would still be, and like they'd go to second verse, and we'd still be on, right? And we would hold it for as many verses as we could, and sometimes like they'd end the song, and Mark and I would still be laughing at each other, and it was dead silent in the room except for us as we were singing, and um, you know, we got those awkward looks, but it was how long could we hold the note? How long could we keep on singing? How long could we extend this glorious song, these praises to God? How long could we go? And that's the challenge that we have, I think, is that we've all been invited to sing this song, and it's really awesome, and it's really moving when that song is Silent Night, and we have this exquisite moment of Instagram quality where the lights go up and through our candles, and the lights go down, and the candles come up, and we all take selfies with our candles, and we think it's this beautiful, beautiful moment that we have, but the challenge is, is can we take the song out from this place? Can we keep singing the song once the presents are unwrapped and the trees come down? Can we keep singing the song into the new year? Can we keep singing the song when we meet somebody who just needs someone to hold their hand for a moment of peace and comfort? Can we keep singing the song when life gets hard and tough and we don't feel God's majesty like we do at Silent Night anymore, but we know that in Christmas, Jesus came close to hold our hand when we don't have the words to sing? Can the song continue? Can the song go on? That is the challenge. Because God's perfect love never stops. It's up to us to just keep singing, knowing that Jesus helps us along. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we gather as one body at the communion table, as we take the food that you have offered us as one in one spirit of peace, of one spirit of love and generosity, God, may we continue to sing. May your sustaining love empower us to go and to take those people's hands who need just a, a little bit of affection, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of just a nudge. Lord, and if that person be us, we ask that you would provide your angel to sing around us so that we do not fear what our voice sounds like. We simply know that you want to hear it. So God, may the light we pass, may the songs we sing go from this place into the corners of our world that are experiencing pain so they may know that you are here and may, they may know that you are love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.